Amen. Are you doing good this morning? Come on. I'm, yeah. Come on. See, I've been on a week on vacation. I'm all geared up, fired up. You can start turning your Bibles to John chapter number three if you would like. We're going to be starting a new series this morning called Reset. Reset. I'm sure that like a lot of you, uh, perhaps you, you don't play video games today, but maybe when you were growing up, you played video games. And, and I wasn't much of a gamer as a child. However, I did grow up with the best gaming system of all time, and that was the Nintendo. How many of you had a Nintendo? growing up. Yeah, that was the real, that was a real gaming system right then because it had Duck Hunt on there. It had Mario, it had all the fun games and I, I loved the original Nintendo. And what made Nintendo great was that it was simple. Gaming consoles today are very, very complicated. You have to have a PhD in advanced mathematics to understand how to even operate the stupid thing. We have two in the back. The youth kids will come ask me sometimes on Wednesday, like, hey, how do you sign into this thing? I'm like, I have no idea how to run this. I promise you that the system that took the men to the moon is less complicated than this new Xbox. And so I don't get it. In fact, I was, uh, when we were on vacation, we were at a store and Charity and Knox were looking at something. I was just standing there looking at the new gaming consoles that they had out. And these things have gotten so complicated that they're so expensive that you can actually finance them for two years. And I thought, that right there tells a lot about our society when you can finance your video games for two years. Interest-free, but you could do it nonetheless. The reason why I like Nintendo was because it was simple. The controller had two buttons, right? Two whole buttons on it you know, and then the directional pad, and you had A and B, like I can understand that. And the console itself had two buttons. It had a power button, and then it had the best button of all, which was the what button? The reset button, right? Now, why was the reset button important? Because if you were playing the game and you were losing something terribly and you knew there was no hope of coming back or you're playing with your buddy and they were whooping you, you could just reach forward and hit the reset button and start over again. It didn't ask you if you wanted to confirm yes or no. It didn't ask you if you were making the right decision. It didn't ask your friend to confirm the reset. When you hit the button, the game started over. And the convenient thing was, was that the cord was only about a foot and a half long, so you are always within reach of the reset button. And that was wonderful as a child because I wasn't very good at video games, so I needed the reset button. In fact, I don't know if the reset button on my Nintendo worked anymore because I hit the thing so much. I wore the button out because you could start over again. Sometimes in life, you get to a point where it looks like there's no hope going forward and you need a reset what if I told you God has placed a reset button in every single one of our lives? Today, we're going to be looking at the nature of man, but we're also going to be looking at the character of God. And we're going to see how the, the intersection between the, the character of men and the nature of God comes together because we as humans, we are, we are left empty to our own devices. And yet God was there with a reset button for our life. Now, we're going to be looking at Nicodemus, and we're going to look at his encounter with Jesus. And if you read through the book of John, Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus is the very first real in-depth interaction that a person had with Jesus recorded in his, in his gospel. And what we see here is that Nicodemus needed a reboot. He needed a reset. And what we learn from this conversation with Jesus is that you and I, we need a reset and a reboot. Ultimately, we need a rebirth. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter number 3. If you're not already there, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That is which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you have not received our testimony. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except him who has ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that he works, he's whose work has been carried out in God. Now, this interaction between Christ and Jesus happens during the middle of the night, and it leads to one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture, John 3.16. Y'all learned it in Sunday school. I learned it, and it goes like this. For God so loved the world, you got to say it with me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How many countless people have been saved when that verse has been read? How I many countless people have had, 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 had encouragement in their faith when that passage was read? As a side note, I think it's interesting that Jesus often does his best work at, in the darkness. Do you notice this passage happened in the, in the nighttime? Jesus rose from the dead when it was still dark. You know, you might feel like darkness is all around you sometimes, but Jesus does his best work in the darkness. And we get this most amazing conversation in the darkness of night. This simple interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus shows us the gospel message in such a, a clearly painted picture. We see the need in our own heart, yet we see the solution in Christ. We see the necessity of the cross, and we see the motivation of the cross at the same time. I always have a big idea for my messages, and today's big idea is kind of obvious because it's self-explanatory in the passage. For God so loved the world that he gave. You could take that one sentence right there and learn everything you need to know about God. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving, and God wants to give his love and his mercy and his grace to you and to me. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus in this conversation is that every single human being needs a rebirth. We need to be born again, or we need a reset 
and a restart in our own life. Now, to really understand this passage, we need to, we need to all make sure that we see that we have a great need. Here's the thing about Nicodemus. He has some serious religious credentials. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious zealot. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. Think about that for a second. 613 laws that you had to follow. How many of you are rule breakers? You see a rule, you're like, that's, a, that's, a, that's something to live up to. I want to break the rule. Be honest. Be honest. You see a rule, you're like, I want to break that rule. You're like the little kid. You say, hey, don't touch that button. And what do they do? Sit there and touch the button. It's all within our hearts to want to break the rules. I remember when Knox Man was little. He was like two years old. He hadn't done anything good or bad yet. You know, you remember when your kids were still like pure and innocent? Because they can't go anywhere. They can't talk. They can't crawl. So they just lay there and you're like, man, this is a very well-behaved child. <laughs> and then they start to crawl. And everything changes from then on out. Knox Man just started crawling. He's a great kid. But he's like every other kid. And I remember he, he waddled himself over to the to the surround sound, and he started touching the button. Now, between us, you know, was he hurting anything by touching the button? Of course not. But I saw this as a teaching moment, right? We don't want him touching things. He could knock something over. So, Knox man, don't touch the button. He touches again, right? Why? Because when you're told that we don't want to do something, we want to do it even more, right? Just like this week, Charity put on Facebook yesterday everything that we did on our staycation, and it just had one food thing after another food thing after another food thing. All we did was ate. And Charity on vacation, she made these things called apple dumplings. Have you ever had apple dumplings? Oh, man, they're good. Made a whole pan of them. I ate at least three quarters of that pan by myself. I just kept going and grabbing more of them, and I knew I shouldn't. But I wanted to. And so Knox man's the same way. All of us have these same things. He's over there touching the button. I said, now, Knox... Don't touch that button. Hits it again. So I get up and I give him a little pat on his bottom. And I say, don't touch the button. Uh-huh. And I walk away. What does he do? He touches again. Why? Because we want to break the rules. Now here's how messed up the Pharisees are. They saw 613 rules. and They say, we want to follow every single one of them. They lived to follow the rules. Of those 613 laws, about 60% of them were don'ts and about 40% of them were do's. So there's a, there's a lot of things to pay attention to if you were going to be a Pharisee. These guys would have been the hall monitors in school. They were serious about following the rules. Here's where it gets crazy. They were so dedicated to the rules and to the laws that they added additional laws so that they didn't violate the big ones. They had like practice laws. They had like, like if we can live with the practice laws, we won't break the big ones. Every commentary I had brought up this one. They thought it was super interesting. They made a law that said you could not tie a knot and a rope on the Sabbath. Now, why? I don't know, but you couldn't tie the, if, now here's where, don't get mad at me, I'm just the messenger. You couldn't tie a knot and a rope if you were a man. If you're a woman, you could tie a knot and a rope. Okay, now what, I'm dead serious about this. Now here's why this is important. So everybody had wells that were hand dug. So I had to get, you know, a bucket, I had to tie a rope to it, let it down into the water, pull up the water and get a drink. If I was a man, I couldn't do that on the Sabbath. So I'd have to go find a lady to do that for me to tie the rope. Dead serious. That was one of the laws. Okay, none of you ladies are smiling at that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. That's what they did. I know what you're thinking. They just didn't want to work on Sunday. That's probably true. Not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, but he was also a leader in the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin was a ruling class of men. There were 70 men in this ruling class, and he had this moral standing, and he had the leadership. Nicodemus would have been incredibly smart to be in the position of being on the Sanhedrin. He would have had to have been a scholar who could quote large portions of the Old Testament scripture. Nicodemus was probably a wealthy man. The scriptures will reference later on in this gospel that he brings large amounts of perfume and lotions to Jesus' uh, tomb to anoint his body. And on top of all this, Nicodemus sounds like a nice guy. When you read about the interactions with the Pharisees and Jesus, most of the time they're contentious. Nicodemus doesn't do that. He comes to Jesus with what would appear to be a good attitude. He calls him rabbi, and he's asking legitimate questions. He wants to understand. He says, I know you come from God, because if you didn't come from God, you couldn't have done these signs. Help me understand what's going on. So Nicodemus has all these credentials going for them. He's a Pharisee. He honors the law. He loves God. He's doing all what appears to be the right thing. He had all these credentials, and yet, here he is still searching in the middle of the night. He's achieved all these things, and yet he's still missing something to the point that in the middle of the night, he goes to find this guy who's working miracles because he knows that he's missing something. And my question that I think all of us have to look at is this. What credentials do we have? What credentials has society given to us? One time I got to go to this VIP concert at the BOK, and we got to sit in a box seat. And it was a really cool experience because when you pull up there, because of the credentials that we had, because of who we were with, when this long line of people was standing at the door to get in, we got to walk right by the line. And instead of sitting there in long lines of concessions, we went up an escalator and there was nobody in the middle tier where the box seats were. And we just got to walk right in, sit down in comfortable leather chairs while everybody else was standing up fighting and vying for a position close to the stage. When we walked out of there, we got stamped on our hands so we could come and go. It was a really cool experience. Why? Because we had the right credentials. Here's what we see from this passage. Nicodemus had these credentials, and he was trying to curry favor from God, but he wasn't feeling satisfied. His religious credentials had left him empty. So he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night with a longing in his heart that he can't explain. His religion has left him empty. And I think a lot of us make the same mistakes that Nicodemus does. We have looked to religion to help bring satisfaction, but it has left us empty. We have tried to curry favor from the gods, quote unquote, only to be left desiring more and dumbfounded that life isn't better. Notice that I said we look to religion to satisfy our desires. Now, when we say religion... What are we talking about? Most of us get a picture of church when we say religion, but that would be incorrect. Religion is simply any effort that we engage in to bring fulfillment, peace, and security to our heart. So church necessarily isn't religion. It can be a religious function in our life, but religion is any sort of function that we engage in. It's a worldview in which we operate in by the things that we do to try to find peace and security in our heart. Religion in the South is a, real, is a real deal. Think about the religious worldview that a lot of us have towards life. We have to check all the marks. All the marks. We have to have a job to be providing for our family. 
We need to have a spouse with two kids, or today, 1.8 kids. We need to have the vehicle to put in the driveway. We need to have the home that we paid for. We need to have the new cell phone, and we need to have the streaming service, and we need to have the satellite TV, and we need to have the jewelry and the guns, and we need to have all these things because these are check marks that if we can achieve these check marks, if we can hit these points, then we'll have some security in life. This is how we curry favor with the gods. We don't say it that way, but that's what we believe because that's what most of us are aiming our life towards. And so when I say the religion of the South, we know that if we, we believe our worldviews is if we have this stuff, then we'll have peace and security. When we work hard, we'll have peace and security. When we pay for our own things and we have nice things, we'll have peace and security. Don't make anybody else, but I work for what I have, right? And let's be honest, there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there was nothing wrong with the law that, Jesus, that Nicodemus was trying to achieve, just like the law came from God, just like we are to work hard, we're to take care of ourselves. All these things are good things. But what Nicodemus had done is he exchanged the law to bring him his peace and his security, and it wasn't working. And we have exchanged our lifestyle, our stuff that we aim for, to bring our peace and our security, and it has left a lot of us empty. The law had replaced the lawgiver for Nicodemus. And when hard work and stuff replaces the creator, then we have a problem. We see this in society with celebrities all the time. Seems like every year there's going to be two or three celebrities in the news who have achieved the epitome of success and they take their own life. People who have achieved the epitome of success and they get divorced. People who have achieved what appeared to be the epitome of success, but it was all facade. It all came crumbling down. And we look at those people and we pity them. But yet, for many of us, we look in the mirror, our situation is no different. We haven't achieved the same level of quote-unquote success, but we've lived with the same worldview, and we're going to have the same results. A lot of us find ourselves in the same circumstance that Nicodemus was in. We've checked all the boxes, and yet we're still searching for meeting. The facts are that many people are far from Christ. Now think about Nicodemus for a moment. To be a Pharisee was not an easy task. He was the best of the best. He was a high achiever, but he was still empty. Being a good man or a good woman in today's society is a lot of hard work, but yet it can still leave us empty. So when Nicodemus hears this man who does miracles, Nicodemus says to himself, I need to investigate this for myself. Jesus being Jesus knew exactly why Nicodemus was there. And he, get, he got straight to the point. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't beat around the bush. When people show up to him, most of the time he bypasses the pleasantries. There was no small talk. He just went straight to work. And Nicodemus said, hey, listen, dude, unless you're born again, you're not going to make it to heaven. I know you've been working hard. I know you're a Pharisee. I know you can quote the law and all that stuff. And that's wonderful. I'm glad you can do that. But by the way, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus in this moment is revealing something very important to Nicodemus. He's saying, look, I'm God. I know some things that you don't know, and now I'm laying it before you. Jesus is basically saying, everything that you've been living for while it's right and good, it's not going to get you saved. You need a reset. You need a restart. Nicodemus, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, then you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says something to him. He said, how can a man be born again when he is old? 
Can he enter into his mom's womb a second time? Now, when I was growing up, people always taught me that Nicodemus was being super literal. Like, Nicodemus, oh, I have to be born again? Like, I have to become a baby and grow up again? Don't think that's what's happened. Nicodemus was a smart man. Nicodemus understood a metaphor when he heard one. And he understood that Jesus was speaking metaphorically about his rebirth. Nicodemus understood that he was speaking about a life change, not physically becoming a child again. He knew what he was saying. So Nicodemus wasn't, was not questioning the desire to change. He was questioning the possibility of changing. Basically, Nicodemus was saying this, Jesus, I have been this way my entire life. I've given everything I've had to this point for this lifestyle. I'm fully invested in this life. And now you're asking me to leave all this behind and to start over? How can I do that when I'm an old man? How can I go back and start over with my career, start over with my life's purpose? How can I be born again? Additionally, it is possible that Nicodemus was a little bit ticked off. I mean, let's be honest. He had obeyed all the laws of God just to be in the right standing with God. And now here's this man telling him that it wasn't good enough and he has to start over. Have you ever stood in the DMV line for like five years, got to the counter and realized you had the wrong piece of paper? (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of how Nicodemus probably felt in this moment. He comes to Jesus, he's been spending his whole life trying to honor God, and now Jesus tells him he needs to be born again. So when a lot of us hear that God is calling us to reset our life, we have two questions. Either one, is it possible for me to change at this point in my life? My marriage has been a wreck for 10 years. It can suddenly change. I've been struggling with depression for decades. Can it suddenly change? I've been struggling with the same things in my life for a long time. Can that suddenly change? Or we hear that we need to be born again and it makes us mad. Because we're like, God, your word says work hard. I've been doing that. It says to love my family. I've been doing that. It says, and now you're telling me I need to be born again? Jesus' response to his question. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus flips the script on Nicodemus' religion. Everything about Judaism at this point, it wasn't ever meant to be this way. God did not intend for it to be this way, but this is what happened. Everything about Judaism at this point had came to the outward appearance. Where were you born? Who were your parents? How well put together is the external? That's why the religious leaders had these big, long, flowing robes, and they washed their hands all the time. They had all these cleansing laws, etc., It's a lot like America. Where do you work? I mean, what questions do we ask people when we meet them for the first time? Hey, it's nice to meet you. What's your name? What do you work at? What do you do for a living? What do you live at? These are the same questions we ask. And what Jesus is saying is your exterior isn't going to help you on the things on the internal life. Jesus straight up tells Nicodemus, you're out of the kingdom. If you want to be in, you got to be born again. Your thinking of fleshly things are going to get you into the spiritual kingdom of God, but it's a spiritual thing. Jesus is actually surprised that Nicodemus doesn't understand this. 
He tells him, he says, I've told you heavenly things. If you don't understand that, how are you even a teacher of the law? Jesus is surprised because God had promised in the Old Testament that God would change our heart. Ezekiel chapter number 36, verse 25 through 27 says this. This is God giving a promise to us. I will sprinkle clean, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues to be careful of my rules. The gospel is not about earning credentials. It's about receiving credentials. It's about the Lord coming to our heart and removing the old death, hard things from our heart and giving us a heart of flesh. The solution to every single problem in our life is a rebirth at the cross. We need a reset and a rewiring, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell him, and he's surprised he doesn't get that. He's saying this has been the promise from the beginning. How do you not understand that? And a lot of us sit in church, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we never see change. Why? Because we forget that we have to receive something from God. God has to do the work inside of our hearts. We're trying so hard, and it's not doing us any good. If Nicodemus's work, honoring 613 plus laws, couldn't earn him what he wanted. What makes us think that we can earn it either? If we're going to have a real life change, then there has to be a spiritual rebirth in our heart. The physical changes that we see in life that will happen will not be because of fleshly efforts. It'll be because of a spiritual rebirth inside of our hearts. Are we struggling with joy and happiness in our life? Then we have to have a joy birthed inside of us through knowing Christ. Are we struggling with hope? Are we working countless hours throughout the day trying to have security for our family? It's never going to seem like enough. We need to have true hope and security that we only know by knowing Jesus, who is our provider. Are we struggling with our marriage? We can read all the books, and that's good. And we go go to the conferences, and we can see therapists. We can do all this stuff and still fight like cats and dogs. Why? Because we need a rebirth inside of our marriage. Nicodemus questions if faith in Christ is really going to change anything. I mean, he scoffs at his words. In verse 9, he says, huh, how can these things be? How can these things be? And I think that raises a legitimate question for us. How does putting faith inside of Jesus change one thing about my life? Nicodemus says, how can these things be? See, he showed up because he saw Jesus do miracles. Nicodemus trusted Jesus' miracles, but he didn't trust his word. And a lot of us pray because we trust God's miracles, but we don't trust his word in our life. We trust him that he can snap his fingers and everything in life can be changed, but we don't trust him when he says, you need a rebirth in your heart. We say, that ain't going to change anything. We We need our bank accounts in the negative sign. God, I need you to perform a miracle and place some money in there. God's like, I need you to trust me to be your provider. See, those are all, we, we separate these things, and what Jesus is saying, no, 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 they go together hand in hand. Maybe you're here and you're saying the same thing. I'm not sure how putting my faith in Christ is really going to change anything in my life. 
I'm not sure how believing Jesus died on the cross is going to make one bit of difference in my life. Jesus answers Nicodemus' doubts, and he answers our doubts the same way. He tells Nicodemus, he said, look, you need to be born of the, of the water and of the Spirit. See, if the cross is the reset in our life, then that reset only comes through the water and through the Spirit. What does that mean? The water baptism is the, is, the, is, the, is the symbolic action of us actually getting saved. We know that we're saved through putting our faith in Jesus Christ, but God asks us then to be baptized. The baptism doesn't solidify your salvation. The baptism doesn't make your salvation real. It's not like you're halfway saved until you can get baptized. No, no, no. What baptism does is, is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in your life, and you're saying, this work is for me, and I want everybody to know it. That's why we do baptisms every month. We're going to fill this thing. If you want to get baptized, nobody wants to get baptized. I'm filling it anyways. Why? Because Jesus told us to baptize people because we are to go public. We are to make that confession to say the whole world, I want you to know that I'm living for Jesus. Public confession of faith and believing in Jesus is the first step. But then he said, you also need the spiritual baptism in your life. He says, when you, it happens through the water and the spirit. And then he says, though, as the wind blows and goes, and you don't understand where it goes and how it works and all these things, you just know that it's affecting you. You stand inside, your hair's blowing back, you know the wind's blowing. You see the effects of it. When we were in Kansas the first last weekend, we were with my parents at a little lake in the middle of Kansas. And as you know, Kansas, just the wind's blowing all the time. I grew up in western Oklahoma, and now that I've moved out here, I forgot what it's like to just be consistently in 40-mile-an-hour winds, okay? I mean, when I was in western Oklahoma, we didn't think anything of it. I mean, I remember driving down the road many times, and semis are, you know, almost 45-degree angle because the wind's blowing so hard. That's just a Tuesday for us. Now we've been out here for 10 years. We go up there, it's like, good Lord, the wind is consistently blowing. But you could see... The effects of that wind, the wind came up that one afternoon and it started blowing chairs everywhere and the awning nearly blew off the camper and it was sunshiny, just the wind was blowing. Could I see the wind? Nope. Did I know where it was coming from? Yeah, I knew what direction it was coming from, but I don't know why it was blowing so hard. But I could see the effects of it and everything around me. And what Jesus is saying is you're not going to understand how the Holy Spirit resets your life. You're never going to be able to understand all that stuff. But I'm telling you, you'll see the effects in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life doesn't make sense in the natural. I'm telling you as a pastor, I don't understand how Christ delivers a drunk. I don't understand how Christ heals a marriage. I don't understand how Christ calms the mind. But I've seen it work. I've seen his process, the spiritual rebirth, the reset. I've seen it work. Here's another way to look at it. Imagine you have a bad knee. How many of you have ever had a knee replacement? Real common surgery. Tammy had a knee replacement. Which knee did you have replaced? The right one. Okay. So Tammy at some point had a lot of knee pain, right? Because like, okay, I'm going to have to do something with this knee pain. And she could sit there and she could just keep working it at home. She could start doing the therapy. She could go see a physical therapist and start doing the work. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Because the knee's bad. The therapy needs to be done, but the knee's bad. So what she had to do, she had to go to the doctor. She had to see the doctor. They'd take some imagery. They'd do some x-rays and all the stuff that they do. They charge you lots of money for. And then they looked at it and said, you know what? You need a knee replacement. 
So then they go in there one day, and this is pretty wild if you've ever seen this. They cut the knee open. This is where it gets gross. And then they cut off your leg here and here. There for a while, Tammy had no leg, okay? And so it was detached, right? Charity's getting gross. And then they take and they beat the new knee on there, both on the bottom and the top. I, don't, I was homeschooled, so I don't know what these bones are called. <laughs> and, uh, they, beat, they beat it in there. Public school, it's good for you. <laughs> Anyways, they beat, they beat the new knee on there. They sewed everything back up. Then the rehab and the therapy comes, and then you have to start moving. It's like, ah, you know, and that's all you can move it. My dad had both of his done. It's like, ah, you know, but if you do it, sooner or later your mobility starts to come back, and the whole thing starts to work. That is what Christ does in our hearts. I guarantee you not one of us in this room knows how to replace a knee. Don't know how to do it. I can try if you'd like. Okay. (laughs) I can do something. We don't understand that, but we know something's broken and nothing that we do is going to fix it until it gets replaced. Now, once it gets replaced, then we have some work to do. We can go sit on the couch, put our knee up, and it is never going to feel better because it's going to get stiff. We're not going to be able to move it. We're going to have to do some therapy. We're going to have to do some work. We're going to have to stretch it out. And ultimately, we're going to have our mobility back and we're going to be able to walk again. That's what Christ does in our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying right here. You're not going to understand how it works, but I'm telling you what's inside of you is broken. Until you give it to me and you have a rebirth, until you're made new, until I do something new in your own heart, it's never going to work. You're going to have some stuff to do too. Once I give you a new heart, you can't go back to the old way of life. You can't do the old stuff. You're going to have to do some therapy and some rehab to make this thing take root. But you're going to have to have a rebirth. He says, flesh give birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth birth to the Spirit. So many of us have been trying the therapy on our knee, quote unquote, and it's not working. We need a replacement. We need the surgeon to reset our heart.